Hi, thanks for tuning into the second episode of my podcast. This one's mostly going to be covering the Tikal archaeological site in Guatemala. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, my name's Kat. I'm a comic artist who writes about travel. Um, and this podcast is me reading from some Central America travel diaries from when I was 25. And I'm sort of rediscovering these journals in real time as I read, because prior to recording, I probably hadn't read these in well over a decade. Immediately after crossing the Guatemalan border, the road disappeared. We were literally on stone tracks the second we crossed the border. Guatemala seemed very lush, with a lot of banana trees and giant palm trees everywhere. In Santa Elena, we were for some reason transferred onto a minibus for the final five minutes of our journey over the causeway to Flores. It turned out that two of our fellow passengers were Dutch and two were from Belgium, but the biggest coincidence of all was when we reached Flores and checked into El Tucan Hotel and the boss, a middle-aged Guatemalan man, discovered where Martin was from and announced Ixbrek Nederlands. It turned out he had spent a few years living in Holland. Martin's Dutch magnet was switched on strong. <laughs> we overheard several other tourists in Flores speaking Dutch and the funniest one of all was that the one other tour group we ran into whilst on our five-day jungle trek. I'm about to talk about that in a minute. Um, this other tour group was about 90% Dutch, in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> Flores was small and picturesque, but very touristy, with more artisania and tour shops than anything else. But, oh, my pronunciation is so bad. Lago de Peten Itza was stunning. Richard and I got up early on our first day in Flores and sat in our hotel's waterfront restaurant to write, and the light over the lake was incredible. It was very misty and it was bizarre when I heard the sound of a plane and then a huge passenger jet suddenly appeared out of the mist almost at ground level and landed on the airstrip uh, on the opposite side of the lake. Usually the boats on the lake were a small passenger kind with a little low roof or handmade wooden canoes. Occasionally a jet skier spoiled the view. Oh, being judgmental there. We spent a day relaxing, trying to catch up on journal work and getting acquainted with the hotel's pet toucan Kiko and the three pet parrots. Kiko was always amusing at first and stunningly beautiful, but he became annoying <laughs> when he did things like sit on our table while we were working and throw Richard's cigarette butts from the ashtray one by one onto the floor. I don't know if I write about this in the journal, I'll say it now in case I don't come across it in a minute, but this hotel was the first time I'd ever touched a parrot, um, and one of the pet parrots kind of, um, I put my hand out, he climbed onto my hand and then scuttled up my arm, sat on my shoulder and I really, really remember it because I remember thinking how hot his little feet were <laughs> and I'd never really thought about it. I know birds are warm-blooded but I kind of, you look at the scaly feet of birds and I'd always imagined they would be kind of cold to the touch but this parrot had hot little feet. The next day we set out with great excitement to see Tikal archaeological sites. A minibus picked us up early in the morning and we drove to the site. The site's entrance was at a gate seemingly in the middle of uninterrupted jungle. The main gate for the ruins was another 15 kilometres along the road. After we passed the entrance, signs kept appearing along the road with animals such as jaguars, snakes and coates, I think I'm pronouncing that right, on yellow warning signs for drivers, although I started to suspect that the purpose of the signs were more about setting the mood of jungle excitement for visitors. When we arrived, we checked into the Jaguar Inn campsite with Martin's two hammocks. Richard and I decided to share one to try and save money. We had wanted to try and watch the sunset from the top of one of the tallest temples. Our guidebook said that by applying to the security office, you could sometimes get permission to stay on the site until 8 instead of 5pm for this purpose. We applied to the office and they looked at us as if we were crazy and said no, the site closed at 5. Oh well. 
We finally made it into the site around midday and our first glimpse of our first glimpse of the ruins was incredible. After walking some way into a really beautiful jungle, we suddenly saw the corner of Pyramid One soaring high up into the sky, but we saw it from the back and it was mostly hidden by vegetation. When we rounded the corner, we saw the great plaza spread out in front of us and it was truly impressive with numerous structures and stelae-like stelae uh, standing stone monuments carved with designs. So the plaza was uh, impressive with numerous structures and stelae and a huge tree in the very centre filled with black and yellow birds making the most amazing noise. They were probably um, orioles, is that how you say it? Yeah, I'm not sure how you pronounce that bird. After exploring the plaza, we continued to Temple 5, which had rounded corners and a very steep flight of wooden steps up the side. Martin and I waited for a huge party of loud tourists to leave and then proceeded up the steps. I don't think I mentioned this in my um, in my book, Follow Me In, but my uh, ex-partner Richard had a real phobia of heights, so he often didn't do things like this. In fact, I think the scene in my graphic novel where we climb the, the pyramid at Teotihuacan um, outside of Mexico City, I think that's not correct. I showed us both at the top of that pyramid. I think only I went up there in reality, <laughs> but I thought it would be a, a nice scene to have both of us do it in the book. The view of the tops of the other four highest temples above the jungle canopy was amazing. Richard didn't make it up because of his vertigo, but he later made it up Temple 4, which is the highest pyramid, as the steps there were less steep and surrounded by vegetation, so you couldn't really see a drop underneath you. Next, we walked to El Mundo Perdido, exploring the plants and animals we saw along the way, such as leafcutter ant highways and various unexcavated pyramids. There we found various pyramids and other structures and it was really quiet with no other people around. By now really hot and tired, we stopped for a cold drink on the way to Temple 4, the highest pyramid of all. I was dying to do a sketch, so Richard and Martin ascended the crazy wooden stairways while I sat below and drew the steps in the surrounding jungle. When they returned, we were entertained for a while by a cute coati. They're like, um, they're kind of, I think, related to raccoons. They've got little pointy faces um, and they're very... They tend to not be terribly afraid of people, especially, I think, where there are tourists around that give them food. Um, a cute coati which wandered out of the forest, confident as anything, and sniffed around the base of the pyramid. We suspected that the don't feed the animals sign was mainly there because of him. I still needed time to finish my sketch, so Martin and Richard went off for a wonder, leaving me alone. It was at this exact moment that the howler monkeys decided to put in a vocal appearance, making me feel decidedly spooked. I don't know if you've ever heard howler monkeys. I wrote about them in the in the book, but they they make a roaring noise that sounds more like a kind of big cat than a monkey. It's quite terrifying. Um, I didn't realise that there were about six people on top of the pyramid at the time. I thought I was utterly alone. Eventually, I decided my sketch was done and I headed up the steps for a look at the view. It was even more breathtaking than the one from Temple 5, as the sun was getting low and making the other temples blaze orange above the dark green canopy. I did a rapid two-minute sketch and then descended worried that the other two might be waiting. They weren't. <laughs> so I sat nearby for a while and was again utterly alone. At one point I was so convinced that I heard a big cat growl that I leapt to my feet and started checking all the branches above me and the undergrowth around me. An American girl wandered by and chatted to me for a minute or two, dispelling my nerves until finally Richard and Martin returned. We headed for a final visit to the Great Plaza where a few people were sitting waiting to be kicked out at five. We burnt a tiny piece of copal as a gift to the gods and watched a group of three toucans alight in a nearby tree. We looked, oh, I should say, um, copal is 
uh, tree resin, I think, which um, indigenous people burn um, as incense in this part of the world. It's, it's got a really, really lovely smell. And this, it's not very smoky. It creates a kind of wet, more like a kind of moist steam than smoke. It's really lovely. We looked at the badly eroded but impressive stella of Ao Cacao, who's one of the... Uh, <laughs> his name literally means Lord Chocolate. Uh, one of the rulers of this city. A group of security guards sauntered past with rifles. We decided it was maybe time to leave and followed a Guatemalan family towards the exit. Fortunately for us, they took a different route to the one we had come in by, so we got to see a part of the site that was new to us. We passed a tree where an incredibly loud insect was chirping away and Martin got out his mini-disc to record it. The Guatemalan family told us that it was a chichara. Back at the campsite, the birds were making their sunset racket and Martin recorded them and then we went for dinner. A huge, low, golden full moon added a dramatic finish to a dramatic day. We ate fried chicken and then retired to our hammocks where we had an uncomfortable night, which was made bearable by the fact of being able to listen to the jungle noises as we tried to sleep. This was, I think, the second time I'd attempted to sleep in hammocks, um, the other one being by the beach at Zipolite, which is in my book. Um, hammocks are quite comfortable, but um, there's a lot of noise, obviously, if you're outdoors. Um, and I think in this case, I was, we were two to a hammock, so it was not, not ideal. At breakfast, we were playing back Martin's recordings when an American at the next table called over. It turned out that he had a lot of expensive sound recording equipment with him that he'd been planning to use to record jungle noises as well, but none of it was working. Martin agreed to send him some of his recordings via the internet when he was back home in Amsterdam. Via the internet. That makes me think the internet's not... It's a lot more new back then than it was now. Because I don't think you'd even say that these days. Then we set out for a walk. There was no bus back to Flores until midday, so we were hoping to find some kind of trail we could follow through the jungle for a while to pass the time. The previous day at Tikal, we had walked about 10k or so. Mas or menos, I've written. <laughs> more or less in Spanish um, and we wanted to do a bit more walking in the morning as training for El Mirador. El Mirador is uh, mentioned at the end of my book it's um, a really really remote ruined site in Guatemala that you can trek to the only way to reach it is to two very very long days of hiking through the jungle uh, on foot. I don't know what it's like now I don't know whether there are ways you can reach any different ways you can reach it that have developed in the last 15 years but when we went you had to walk there and it's um like a five-day jungle trek all in all and martin and richard and i had decided we were going to uh, attempt that setting out in the opposite direction from the ruins we came quickly to a nature trail with plants labeled in spanish with their medicinal uses also listed it was just the kind of thing we'd been looking for but the trail turned out to be quite short and we were being eaten alive by mosquitoes we emerged from the forest wondering if there were any more trails and Martin commented that he hadn't yet seen a big snake on his travels. We'd seen a baby snake the night before. Then we found a second trail into the jungle which featured, along most of its length, a raised walkway about a foot above the ground made of sticks. We wondered why. And then Martin shouted. Richard and I had just walked blindly past the biggest snake we'd ever seen in the wild. It was about two metres long and very fat, with a small head and a distinctive pattern. I found out later... I figured out later it was probably a boa constrictor because it had these uh, kind of circular pattern it was lying right next to the little bridge we were standing on and after martin photographed it it turned towards us and slowly slithered under the raised walkway and into the undergrowth 
most people's opinions who we asked afterwards were that it was a Barbara Amaria or a Ferdinand snake, one of the most deadly in the world. But after looking at pictures of these on the internet, we remain unsure. I think I'm pretty certain now. Since then, I've figured out that it was a boa. Anyway, we continued along our path very slowly, watching in the trees and on the ground for more snakes. Eventually, we came to a mirador, essentially a treehouse in a very tall tree by which you could see the temples of Tikal in the distance. It was again accessed by a very steep and twisting wooden ladder, which I really enjoyed climbing, but Richard hated. We got back to the campsite without any more snake incidents and took our bus back to Flores. There we spent a day and a half relaxing, eating and swimming in the lake before our ambitious trip to El Mirador. So this trek to El Mirador, El Mirador is a huge Maya archaeological site in the northern Guatemalan jungle. Um, It's probably one of the least uh, excavated of all the sites because it's so remote. Um, And from what I can remember, I really can't remember the distances, but I remember it's two days of hiking to get there and two days of hiking back. And I think the distances are about 20 to 30k each day. So you really are kind of walking all day long. This next section was written in Todos Santos Cochumatan, which is a mountain town in Guatemala. And it was written on the 22nd of March 2004. I'm still behind with the journal. I'm now in freezing Todos Santos after taking the challenging backdoor route from Flores to here via Poptun, Freiburg, Ptolemy, Lanquin, Coban, Uspantan, Sacabulas, and Huehuetenango. It took five overnight stays, although two of those were while we enjoyed the swimming holes at Chamuk Champagne, so I don't really count those. So now I have to explain our mammoth hike to El Mirador. I was obviously dreading having so much to catch up on with this journal at this point of writing. El Mirador. We began by getting up at 5am and meeting Martin in the street outside the Toucan Hotel. Henry picked us up in a truck which his friend was driving and we collected Stefan, then drove to Henry's house in Santa Elena. There, Elizabeth and Erwan had spent the night, and we found them dressing and getting ready to leave. Henry was the tour guide that was going to take us on this five-day jungle trek. While Henry and his friend loaded up the trailer with our five days' worth of supplies, we We drank a coffee in the house and got to know one another. Stefan was from Sweden. He turned out to have a dry sense of humour, was pretty fit, and had military experience. Elizabeth and Erwan were a couple. She was from Mexico and he was French. He was quiet and thoughtful. She was more outgoing. A really cute little dog with long ears ran about during the preparations, excited by all the visitors. He had a large leaf stuck to his ear, which it took Stefan a few attempts to remove. After an hour or so, we set off with me and Lisa in the cab with the driver and everyone else sitting in the back of the truck. Lisa and Erwan spoke no English at all, so it was challenging trying to make conversation with her during the journey, but reassuring to discover that she could generally understand what I meant. It made me realise how little practice we'd ever had at conversation in Spanish. We headed out towards the vast emptiness of the northern Petén. The Petén is a kind of rainforest region of uh, Guatemala. We were following a long, unpaved road, which was really in the middle of nowhere when we spied a huge tree lying across the road ahead. A small dirt track led off to the left, just before the tree, and a group of three local workers were standing around looking at the tree. We all got out to inspect the problem. The tree completely blocked the road and was far too big to even consider moving or cutting up. We wondered how recently it had fallen, and then someone remembered that a pickup had overtaken us only 10 minutes earlier. There was no sign of the pickup, so the only conclusion was that the tree had fallen in the last 10 minutes. 
The wood was very crumbly and dry and was alive with termites. Lisa got out her Swiss army knife, which had a tiny saw on it, and we all laughed. Um, Henry leapt into the vegetation at the side of the road and began hacking away at it, knowing that the only way to get past was to drive around the tree. The workers too plunged in with machetes while we all stood around uselessly. In surprisingly little time, they'd cleared a path around the obstacle, and thinking that the problem was over, Richard got out his camera to take a picture of the fallen tree. Then the tyre on the near wheel of our truck suddenly burst. He quietly put the camera away again. (laughs) We could hear howler monkeys roaring in the distance as Henry and his friend attempted to remove the trailer from the truck, and it became stuck. We began to wonder if someone didn't want us to go on this trek. Finally, the trailer came off and they managed to replace the wheel. Martin diffused the tension with a joke. Martin is such a funny guy. Um, This is just like him. (laughs) Just as Henry, drenched in sweat, was positioned under the truck holding the wheel, Martin piped up in a whinging tone. Henry, queremos café. We want coffee. Henry laughed. During the wheel operation, another truck arrived with a man, woman and baby inside. They waited to follow us through the makeshift hole in the vegetation. Our truck powered through, bouncing like anything while we all held our breath, hoping that the other tyres were going to survive. It was a relief when our truck emerged on the other side. The second truck didn't have four-wheel drive and struggled considerably. All of our party had to push as it tried to get through the vegetation. and We had to pile wood under its wheels and everyone got thoroughly sprayed with dirt as it flailed its way around the tree. Then we had one final task. We had to completely unload our trailer. Everything was tied in place with string lift it over the tree and then reload everything on the other side. Eventually we were on our way again, but we couldn't believe our eyes when we rounded another corner and saw a machine digging up the road ahead of us. We drove on slowly through the churned up road and eventually reached Carmelita. Carmelita was a small town arranged around a large open field where horses and mules were grazing. It was a relatively poor town. The houses typically had a toilet that was a board with a hole cut in it and a shack at the bottom of the garden. Houses were made of wood with bare earth floors. We went for breakfast in one house where we were amused to see chickens climbing on our host's bed. The lady cooked us scrambled eggs and frioles with tortillas and coffee. We were all quite asleep and a bit awed by the distance ahead of us. Outside, Henry and his two assistants were loading up our mules. Our muleteer was called Hilario and he was being helped by his son of around 16, Luis. After breakfast we set out, Hilario and Luis would follow us once all the other mules were ready. We had one mule with a saddle with us, a small white one. As we crossed the field, Henry gave Stefan the mule's rope and dashed off to the shop, telling us to go on ahead, but the mule wouldn't budge. Several people tried to pull it, but it made no difference. When Henry came out, we were all still standing in the exact same spot, grinning stupidly. (laughs) He showed us how to pull the rope really hard, sin amor, he said which means without love. But the mule moved very slowly when led, so he mounted instead and we followed him out of Carmelita and down a wide path. Then we turned off down a path into the woods and the hiking began. So I think I'll stop reading here and I'll leave the uh, majority of the trek for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Um, If you don't already know my work or follow me online, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. on Facebook as well. I won't give out all the handles. If you go to my website, which is katrinachapman.com, Katrina spelled with a K and an O, K-A-T-R-I-O-N-A, you'll find links to all my social media on there. Um, I also have a Patreon if you're interested in supporting my work that way. Um, And also an Etsy shop where you can buy my book, Follow Me In, and also my zines. I'm actually currently working on my second graphic novel, um, 
and for that reason I've had my online shop closed for quite a number of months because I've been kind of working very long hours um, and also with the current uh, coronavirus situation I haven't wanted to have my shop open but I've decided to reopen it um, just with a, a more limited range of items on sale so I'm just going to have my zines and my book listed in there so if you're interested in having a look at some of my uh, comics a lot of them do have a kind of travel uh, and walking theme I've written quite a bit about walking in Scotland as well you can find me by just searching my name Katrina Chapman uh, on Etsy you can also find that via my website